welcome to For the Love of Dogs with Dennis Wolf. Hey, well, today's show is uh, going to be very special because it was chosen by someone who uh, genuinely was helping us with topics this morning. Thank you, Thomas. We're going to be answering your questions about dogs and service dogs and some really cool things. Uh, we're going to start with basically our behavioral work, that how do we get a dog to, um, to become a service dog? How do we get our dogs to act like service dogs? Remember, not everybody needs a service dog, but it doesn't mean that your dog can't be that well-behaved. So I think the same qualities that we look for in a service dog are really the same qualities we're looking for in a pet. We want a dog who's calm, who's not going to knock us down or knock toddlers down or bite or bark excessively or tear our things up when we're not there because he's got separation anxiety. We want a dog that we can go places with. If you want to go on your own, then you can get a cat because cats are typically not super social. Not that there aren't some great cats, but we all know there are dog parks out there, but I have personally never seen a cat park. So I don't know if that's the owners or the cats, but I do know that dogs are super social. And many, many people, especially in the city, will tend to look for a dog so that they can socialize. They go out for a walk. It gets you out there, right? It gets you out walking, gets your heart going. Um, and that's what you look, you're looking for, to be able to share that time with your dog. But what you're not looking for is having your dog lunging at people or other animals or running from things or running at things or barking incessantly or walking around with its tail between its legs, assuming it's you know not a, not a pug and it's got its tail between its legs, although pugs and a lot of these guys are not going to have tails between their legs. But the concept is we're getting these dogs into and putting them into our lives to add to our lives, to supplement them, to give us something more versus getting tropical fish that are going to stay at home or typically a cat or a ferret or another animal who you would keep at home. So dogs and dog people tend to be more social. So what do we do when we have a dog or we're looking at a puppy or going to a pet store, which is the last thing anybody should be doing, but if you're going to a pet store to buy a pet or buy a dog, Please think and go rescue, get a dog from a recognized AKC show breeder of merit like what I do. Um, they'll stand behind the dog forever. There are even cat breeders who are wonderful and are, you know, huge resources for cats the same way we would have, you know, dog breeders, good dog breeders, not people trying to make money, but people genuinely doing all the health checks, the hips, elbows, thyroid, bear, surf, patellas, whatever, von Wildebrands, whatever different issues that might present themselves in a particular breed. But the difference is when you go to buy a dog and when you go to, to a good, reputable AKC show breeder or if it's an off-breed that's trying to get its breed accepted into the AKC, UK, UKC also, UKC is a United Kennel Club, they have events. It's not like some of these American canine, you know, example, whatever. They put these names that seem like they're official where they're not. They're just nothing. And it's a registration in somebody's garage and some computer that, you know, nobody, it, it means nothing. You can just paper your walls or use it as, you know, toilet paper for all I care. But 
AKC showbreeders of merit particularly are going to be the people who are going to be great resources for you. So either rescue, don't get a designer dog because you're going to be a client of ours. Promise you. We have probably more than half our, our, our patients and my personal patients are poodle mixes or some kind of designer dog that has issues, um, which is considering how many different breeds, recognized breeds that were actually bred to better the breed and make them stronger and healthier, better temperaments and, and more functional in society as well. Those dogs, you know, are the ones who who have problems, a lot of the designer dogs. And it's not um, very uncommon for me to hear people say, oh, but the reason that I got, you know, the, the mixed breed or the, the whatever doodle, kitty doodle, half cat and half poodle, um, yes, that's a joke. Um, so the people who are looking for that are, they're generally just looking for, you know, good dogs, right? You, you want to just, you want a cute little fluffy thing. But what you don't realize is a lot of them are very hyper. Um, a lot of them are, are very anxious and there's a good number of them that can turn aggressive. I just had a call from one, uh, uh an owner with a 10 month or nine month old that's bitten two people in the last two days. And not that that can't happen with any kind of dog, but why would you go spend three, four, five, six thousand dollars on a mutt that's bred, and the mother and the father are bred every six months, or the father's probably breeding everything um, every, you know, every time the female goes into heat, and they're just making money on people, and that's what I think a lot of what's going on now with the shelters getting full again, not just with COVID and people going back, um, you know, to work and, and actual physical work locations. But also, honestly, because a lot of people got these designer dogs and a lot of unscrupulous people who were breeding just amped it up. You know, they just started, hey, I'm going to breed more. And they got more dogs. And, you know, the problem is that they're not well-bred, so they have issues to start with. And sometimes there are issues even I can't fix, which is pretty unusual. But if the owner is committed, then we can get there. But... You know, it's like taking a child or, or an animal that has some kind of a, you know, mental disability and, you know, let's say whatever you want to say it is and expecting them to to act like everybody else, you know, be, it, you know, like a neurotypical. You, it's not that there's anything wrong with them. It's that it's different. And you have to be prepared that if you get certain kinds of dogs or certain more dominant breeds, and I won't go into them, but you can figure some of them. And, and those on steroids, there's a lot of different different breeds of dogs and mixes of dogs that, that can be very, very aggressive and could kill somebody, literally. So, you know, we have to look at it as being able to kind of do the right thing. Um, and when people are breeding animals for money, to me, that shows that that's a big problem. And they don't care the quality of the animals. So... When you get a dog, whether it's a rescue or you get it from an AKC show breeder of merit, you're, you're getting either saving a life or you're ensuring that you have the best chances of having what you looked for, which gets back to the beginning of the show. That's talking about having an animal, having a dog, having a buddy who can go places with you, who you can take to the park, who you can take to, you know, Starbucks and sit outside with him or her without having the dog lunging or terrified. 
you know, a dog that you can take with you, walking anywhere, going into, you know, a pet store that, you know, to go, not buy a dog, but to buy, you know, items for the dog and let the dog shop. I love taking my service dogs in, letting them shop. They, I take their vest off, no gentle leader, and boy, oh boy, they go in there. They are the happiest dogs in the world because they're like, oh my gosh, this is great. This is so great. Um, because they love it. And that's the issue for me, I think, that when people are, you know, truly, truly looking at things the right way and looking at them as, you know, doing the right thing for the right reason, I think that is just so huge. Um, and I see so many people, unfortunately, who have absolutely just disastrous dog situations. And honestly, it's just so heartbreaking because what happens is these people, they're only looking to have something to add to their lives. And so many of these people end up literally, they can't even get a dog walker because the dog is aggressive or the dog is so terrified and runs or they can't put the dog in the crate, or they can't leave because the dog's going to be howling and they're going to get kicked out of their townhouse or their their apartment. So this is the stuff I see, and that's what I always try to do with all of you every week is educate you just a little bit more about and, – and educate your friends. You know, educate – for me to teach you is great because you're here listening. But you need to go out there and educate other people. Remember, you can also, and I haven't told anybody in a long time, but remember, you can always get a copy of my book. It's called Happens, S-H-H-H, Happens, Dog Behavior 101. It's a great book. It's less than $10, and I priced it that way because I wanted everybody to be able to get it. Tell people about the book because if you read that book, some people are going to look, and some of the local yokel dog trainers are going to be like, oh, that's ridiculous. But meanwhile, they're the ones who refer your bad dog to me because they can't fix it, and they tell you to put the dog to sleep because it growls or, or bites, where I can fix that. If I can help the owner and the owner will be committed, I'm good. I'm totally good. I can fix that. But I can't fix if an owner is not committed, and I can't fix it if somebody tells you, that's the worst dog I've ever seen. Well, maybe it is the worst dog they've ever seen out of the 50 or 100 dogs they work with, but I've worked with 35,000 dogs with behavioral issues. I've had six I couldn't help. And that's two of them were uncommitted owners. Four had either brain tumors or an inoperable fungal lesions from a fungus that went up through their soft palate into their sinuses, into their brain. So, you know, a lot of these crazy things that happen with dogs are because people didn't know. Um, one of the things that we're going to be doing in the future is having more guests like we had before. Um, we're going to be having more guests who are, some of them are veterinarians who are specialists in different fields. And we're going to be having these people on because I have the best medical care for my dogs. As a matter of fact, I've been toying with moving closer to the huge veterinary specialty hospital and emergency hospital where I am the behaviorist because I don't want to be an hour or an hour and a half away in case my dogs need help. Um, and, and you really all need to, especially if you're a new dog owner, investigate emergency vet hospitals and get insurance on your dogs, on your cats, because 
you know, people sometimes say at my vet hospital or at other practices where I practice that, oh, you know, these places are just so expensive. Well, what they don't realize is the the million and a half dollar MRI, the million and a half dollar CT machine, the technologist who's getting $30, $40 an hour, maybe more than that, you know, the people who are reading the, the scans or the, the x-rays, radiographs, you know, the, all the people who are the backup work, the people who are there keeping the facility perfect, people don't realize what that costs. You look at what it costs for a school. Think of just a school, the upkeep for a school to keep it safe, to keep the water running, to keep everything. Think about how much you pay for school taxes if you own a house. It is expensive. And the reason that it's expensive, the, not always does the, the price tie into that, but where I go, um, it's amazing. But they're, they're, I don't know how, but they hold their costs down pretty well. They're about half what it costs in Oradell, New Jersey, for much less of a quality care without all the abilities and the board-certified specialists. So I think everybody today, this is your, your homework for the next week till you hear me next week again. Let's make sure that everybody on, everybody listening, and talk to your friends, post it on your social media, post my radio show to BBS Radio. Um, you can look at the, the links. You can find it. But post this on your website or if you have one or post it if you're interested you know, in having me lecture. I'd be happy to help. I don't charge even because I just want to spread this news. I want everybody to know what to do. This week's assignment for everybody is going to be, I want you to go out, if you have an animal, and find your best, not your necessarily your closest, but the best emergency facility you possibly can find. 90, probably 5 or 98%, depending on where it is, around that are emergencies that are where a dog is not critical. The dog is stable. He's breathing. He's eating. He cut himself. He had a little, you know, he's got an ear, he's got something going on, and you go to the emergency vet. So for those things, if you have to go an extra 15 minutes, it's okay. And also call the vet hospital, the emergency hospital, before you leave your house or as you're driving, as you're getting into the car, go on Bluetooth and call the hospital and say, what is your wait time? I have a dog. It's either critical or it's not critical. What's your wait time? They're usually pretty good, and they'll tell you, oh, yeah, we have like a four-hour wait. But meanwhile, the place 15 minutes away will take you right away. So you see what I'm saying? Make sure that you know not just where you're going but what the wait is there because that is super important. So we're talking about that part. Check out what's available and who are the experts. What you want to look for if you're going past your regular primary vet, and, and a lot of primary vets are fantastic because they already know your animal, especially if you're in a smaller practice. Small practice, you might not get things done. You might take you a little longer to get them done, but usually that veterinarian knows you and knows your pet and is going to be a really huge asset to you for all of those um, different needs that you're going to have. So, Check it out. You want to look for board certification. So, in other words, a veterinarian can, they go to, like my daughter went to vet school. She went to Cornell, so she went to vet school for four years. After that, you're, you pass your veterinary boards. 
and you become either a VMD, which is at UPenn, the only one that does that, or a DVM, which is everybody else. Um, anybody who knows about Penn will understand and be laughing very hard right now. And what happens is once they get that, you can practice. So now you're a veterinarian. You don't have a super ton of experience, but, yeah, you can practice. And after 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you, you kind of have, especially on the higher end of that, you've seen pretty much everything. So those are your regular veterinarians, and they're great because they are the, the boots on the ground. Those veterinarians are like your general practitioner for, for medical things. They know you. They're going to be your best ones to re- recommend if you need some kind of specialty care or if you need some kind of additional help. And then they will refer you to what where I am. They'll refer you to for behavioral help. They'll refer you for um, ocular issues, um, like for ophthalmology, like we have a board-certified ophthalmologist. I don't even know how many board-certified internal medicine we have, like four, I think maybe five now, Uh, board-certified neurosurgeons, neurologists, board-certified critical care, which, yes, is a thing. It's it's amazing that they they can just manage the moments that your animal is closest to not being there. And I've seen such, you know, miracles, literally miracles um, at my place where, you know, the, an, an animal comes in literally stopped breathing or having a massive seizure that's been going on since the people left the house, right? And and the criticalists, we have several criticalists. There's not many in the country, but these criticalists are able to manage, let's say a dog gets hit by a car, a dog has some kind of like what my dog just went through, necrotizing fasciitis. He almost lost his leg if he were anywhere else but where I am. Um, he would have been dead. I'm actually sitting in my studio with him right now. He's laying right here. Hey, Bowie, how's my buddy doing? And he doesn't even have um, an open wound. It was nine inches by almost five inches. So if you think about he's a large dog, but think about four and a half, five inches around, there was almost no skin to close. There was maybe an inch of skin on his whole leg um, for nine inches. Um, And it was literally laid open, and it was horrible. And uh, Dr. Jeff Runge, who's brilliant, uh, he he managed it, and his wife is a criticalist, and the two of them and, and the whole team were incredible. And this dog, I was just, I brought him up there again. I didn't go to the places that are closer because there are probably five or six places at least, if not more than that, Um on the, my way from where I am to where I work, and I passed every one of them because he wasn't dying immediately, right? He wasn't, you know, wasn't critical. He didn't stop breathing. If something happens, your dog's having massive seizure or he's not breathing, and it's really urgent, then you get the closest place that you can get into. Um, most places, most vet hospitals um, will take you in immer- immediately, but just you know, don't tell them, you know, hey, my dog's got an ear infection. You can say, my dog's got blood pouring out of his ear. It's not an ear infection. He may have, a, you know, an injury to his inner ear. He might have an injury to his brain. He might be having a, a some kind of seizure. You don't know what's going on with the dog, right? So what we want you to do, all of us, we want you to, to on those emergent calls, a super emergent, you've got to get where you can get as quickly as you can. 
if you have that little extra 15 minutes um, or whatever it takes you, and you have somebody, a place that has board-certified emergency vets, board-certified internal medicine, board-certified oncologist, board-certified all those things, that's where you should go because you have a better chance of that. Now, that brings me back to money. Okay, so if you have money, all right, you have an issue, let's say, even if you have money, right, we don't want to spend a lot, investigate in pet insurance. There are so many good brands out there now. I still like Trupanion. Um, I love that they have the pre-approval, and, and believe me, I don't get paid by anybody. I do not push anything that I do not use myself, and those of you who know me know I'm extremely principled, and I do not ever, like if, if another company came to me and said, well, you should use that instead of this product, and I'll pay you, I don't care. That's not the best product. I'm going to use and recommend what I know is to, is best, whether it's food or or leashes or insurance. I personally use Trupanion. I know a lot of other people who do, use other companies investigate. Um, there are different price points. Um, there's some of them that re, that uh, reimburse 80%, some 90 The reason I personally like Trupanion is I have, I think, 17 dogs between here and the ranch who are insured. might be more than that, but around that. And... The, it, whatever it costs, depending on the dog, between 50 and $200. And the ones that are more expensive, you say, wow, that's a lot of money, $200. But that's because they have a lower deductible or because I, bro- I put them onto the policy when they were older. Typically, if you have a younger dog, if you can, let's say the dog is four or you're not sure it's three or four, you, you know, the insurance company will take your word that it's a three um, and, you know, three years old. And you might pay like, $70 a month for, you know, $500 deductible with 90%, you know, reimbursement. Um, and, and that's great. So check out all the different companies. There's a lot of really good companies. My personal, after I did all the research, was Trupanion. See, for me, what I wanted, because I've had times where I've had three and the one time, four dogs at my vet hospital um, at one time for an inpatient. So you can imagine how much money that would have cost. So just imagine for a moment that I had four dogs, and let's say each one was going to cost $20,000 to fix and to get back to me. So that's $80,000. How could I have done that? And how could I put that on my credit cards? Yes, could I? Yes, I could. But who wants to have $80,000 on your credit cards? Nobody wants that, right? Um, so, you know, um, it's super important again to do that research beforehand and to do it sooner than later, do it before your, your animal turns a year more because it's just going to cost a little bit more. So let's say that four dogs, an average 20,000 each, um, inpatient to get them back home. And so that's, let's say $80,000. Instead of having to put $80,000 on a credit card or choose how much care I was going to be able to afford for each of them or, you know, how much, you know, uh, which of them I might have to not help and which I would, which is a horrible thing as well, I can just contact your penny. I go, you know, I call them up. They get a pre-approval. 
You give them the information. The vet hospital gives you the estimate. They send it in or you send it in. And voila, it gets paid. And you know what? You only are responsible on $80,000, $8,000. Now, yes, that's still a lot, but I'm also saying, you know, this is, this is a lot. The average vet bill, you, let's say it's $5,000, is going to cost you whatever your deductible plus $500. So then you don't have to make what we call medical euthanasias. Um, you don't have to have that, right? You can have your dog or your cat or your pet instead of having that decision and saying we can't afford to keep our pet alive because we don't have money. Instead of that, you have a complete opposite situation. It's not needing to make that choice. It's saying to the vet hospital and your veterinarians, hey, I can do this. So I have insurance. And because of that, and there's also something called care credit, which is really a good option. You can, everybody, if you have decent credit or I would give it a shot, try to get yourself, even if you don't need it, get a care credit account. Because then the 10% that you're not putting, you know, that you do have to pay that you're not getting reimbursed for, that 10% you can put on care credit, which I think depending on the amount either allows you, um, it's either 90, uh, six, uh, six months or a year that you get interest-free and then just make sure you pay it as soon as the animal, um, you know, as soon as it comes due in, in that six months or that year. So you can really manage your pet's health care. And I believe care credit also is okay for humans now. But I, I think it started with dogs, but hey, never. So there are a lot of different options for everybody. Now, that brings me back to Thomas's question earlier in the program. What do you have to do differently or what do you look for in, in kind of a, the qualities for a good pet versus a service dog versus, you know, a problem you're going to have? The issue is always how you feel. If you're looking at the animal and the animal seems friendly and is willing to let you be, you know, touching them and, and willing to be petted, willing to, you know, just kind of be a part of you and a part of everything um, in your home, especially if you're buying a puppy. Biggest problem I think people create is they take the puppy out too early. Uh, they get the puppy too early. You should not be getting a puppy before 12 weeks of age unless it's that's the only way that you're going to get it. The puppy should always be with its mother and siblings as long as possible, preferably to at least 12 to 14 weeks. My puppies stay with me usually 16 to, to 20 weeks. So, so I have puppies that uh, from my litter that I've been telling you guys about. I have, I have puppies here that just turned four months and people aren't going to pick them up yet. That's fine because the longer they're with me and their mother and they're getting that training and constant reinforcement, the better dogs they're going to be. So what's important to do is not bring your puppy with a bunch of rowdy, rough adult dogs. So not only can the puppy get attacked or bumped or pushed and get scared, or the puppy can act fearfully because it's being pushed um, into something it's not ready for, it doesn't know what to do, hasn't been socialized properly. So you have to be careful. Let puppies play with other puppies of similar age. Not always similar size. I mean, obviously don't put a 40-pound you know, puppy with a 3-pound puppy, but 
you know, for the most part, age appropriate is really important because age appropriate is going to teach your puppy and they're both at the same developmental stage. So whether you've got a 30 pound one year old kid or you've got, you know, a 15 pound one year old kid, they're at the same developmental stage typically or pretty close. So that's important. Then you also want to have socialization with adult dogs, calm adult dogs, females like a mother dog who's had litters, um, a litter or two, or just a female who's well-behaved. That's where I, I tell people, look for neighbors who have labs and goldens and, you know, sweet temperament dogs. There's so many good dogs out there. Don't take your neighbor's dog who's like a boxer puppy. I love boxers, but they play really rough. I can let my Ridgebacks play with boxers. My Ridgebacks will, you know, will will be more than able to handle anything and everything um, that they, you know, that they want. Um, but don't let your dog become afraid and don't stop when the puppy is six months or a year old. You've really got to keep that puppy or that dog socialized throughout its life. So take the puppy or take the dog out to Petco or, or the box stores that allow you. Take them out for walks. You know, if you go to a dog park, be really careful what else is there. I, you know, you guys know I hate dog parks unless they're absolutely necessary for that's the only place you can go. Because not only you don't know what somebody's dog is going to do or how ill-behaved it might be or how aggressive it might get with your dog, but more importantly, germs, diseases, oh my gosh, the canine influenza that's going around, it went around earlier uh, this year in some of the warmer climates. We actually didn't go to a lot of dog shows because they were canceled or they had so many dogs with issues. Um, so it is really important for you guys to realize, don't just take your dog, you know, to the dog park and let him run around, even if there's nobody else there. Because even if there's nobody else there, the germs that they have are still there. Parvo can live in, and strangles and different things like that that, you know, can go to dogs. But Parvo, you know, even if your dog is vaccinated, these canine influenza, same as we have, you know, how many different strains of flu and the common cold. Common cold is just another virus, right? It's just, you, but you can't make a vaccine for it because it mutates constantly, kind of like what COVID did. You know, we keep, it's COVID, but it's COVID little less. It's COVID, you know, this one now, this strain. There's like probably hundreds of strains of COVID already. So, and that just, you know, came out when the, uh, from Wuhan, right? Or, or from the bats in the marketplace, whatever. Um, but you got to look at things. And, and make good decisions. Keep your dog vaccinated. But the other part of that is, and we've talked about this prior weeks, is make sure you're not over-vaccinating. So if you're a veterinarian, and this is where a good primary care veterinarian is invaluable, ask your veterinarian if you can titer, T-I-T-E-R, if you can titer your pet to see if the immunities are still strong enough. If they are, then you don't have to revaccinate. You know, vaccinating and over-vaccination can cause a lot of immune system issues. So, again, that's what we're looking at. Let's keep your pups healthy and happy, living a long time, and bringing you great joy. We are going to have to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back.
welcome back to For the Love of Dog with Janice Wolf. We're going to be starting our service dog segment, which is also brought to you courtesy of Thomas's Great Question, which I had actually never thought of. And this is what's so cool about people getting involved with the show and asking questions, because most people just, you know, you don't know, right? You don't know until something actually pops into your brain and you say, oh my gosh, I never even thought of that. So when you have a service dog, and and it's really important, especially with a service dog, because service dogs need to be on their game all the time. You know, we can't have a situation where we have, you know, people uh, doing things that are, you know, potentially detrimental to you know, the, the the dogs that they have. And I think that one of the greatest confusions that people have is probably, you know, what is a service dog? They say, like, I don't understand. Like, what is the difference between, like, a service dog, a therapy dog, an emotional support dog, companion dog, a pet? And we've gone through that over and over, but I think it really is a good idea for us to hit that again and to talk about it. Remembering that, all dogs bring us joy. All pets typically bring us joy. That's why we get them. If we think about how, you know, let's say, um, you know, the the whole concept of, um, you know, how do we choose a dog or how do we choose a cat or how do we choose a pet, it has to fit into your situation, into your lifestyle. So, you know, once we need, um, you know, something and we need to have that, or we want to just have that love, um, of course, that we maybe we're missing, right? If we have that, then it's joyous. But when we get the wrong one, oh, my gosh, it's it's horrible. I mean, I've seen people literally shut in. I remember there, were, there was a family. It was a, a mother and father and an older um, son. And the older son, he was in his mid-20s was engaged to a girl, and I i mean, I was heartbroken, and they loved these two Weimaraners. They were the worst-behaved Wimes I've ever seen, and they were over 100 pounds each. They were bigger than my Ridgebacks, and my Ridgebacks are very tall. It was heartbreaking because the girl, the, the girl that this young man wanted to marry, couldn't come over to the house because the dog, like, so they couldn't hang out anywhere, and they wound up bro- breaking up because... Her parents said, I'm not, I don't want you to, you know, have anything to do with these people, who, with these crazy dogs. I don't want you to get hurt. So I've seen things like that. I've seen a, a lovely couple. They were in their, probably in their 70s, early 70s. One of them had a white German Shepherd. The other one had a pit bull of some sort. And the dogs hated each other, hated each other. And this couple, they were adorable. They were they were hoping to get married. They loved each other so much. And long story short, um, they called me and they said, you know, we we love each other. We want to get married. We each have a dog, and the dogs hate each other. What do I do? And I said, well, if you were twenty, I would tell you to wait a little bit. And they looked at me. They said, dear, we don't have ten years. Our dogs are both young. We don't have ten years. <laughs> We want to get married now. We'll we'll be in our 80s by then. And it was really it was really heartbreaking because they meant it. And this is why you know we love our pets. We love them with all of our hearts. But it's so 
sad and, and really heartbreaking that there's so many people out there who don't live the lives that they should be living because they have a dog with behavioral issues. And that's where you guys can reach out to us, you know. Um, another thing is a lot of dogs with behavioral issues, because we're going to get into this with the service dogs, is a lot of dogs with behavioral issues have physical or physiological issues that are causing that. Uh, dogs who have seizures, dogs who have uh, thyroid issues, if they're hypothyroid, uh, low, low thyroid, it, that can be a big problem because that can actually lead to some kinds of aggression and behavioral issues. Dogs with wheat allergies or other allergies, if you're miserable and, and you're scratching and itching or, you know, the same way that inflammation happens in your skin um, and histamine release, you'll have the same thing in your brain where there can be swelling in, in the brain from some of these allergens, especially wheat in a lot of dogs. And I know for me, I'm, I can't eat wheat. And a lot of people can't eat wheat or different things because it makes you sick. Well, it can also impact your behavior. So when we're looking for a service dog, or good service dog candidate, or therapy dog, or, you know, emotional support dog or animal, we want to have a dog who's healthy. It's really important. If you have someone, it's like saying if you're, you know, married to someone and they have, a you know, a right leg that, that is very weak or they have a bad knee, and then you ask them, honey, can you help me? Can you pick this up? Well, no, they can't because they're in pain. And if you insist or you push them on that, you know, they may wind up having, you know, having issues because of that, and they might not be nice to you. And it's not that they don't love you. It's just they have physical issues. So for a dog, any dog, we want to really check out the physical issues. And, you know, having a dog who's a tripod or, I mean, I have, I had two of them, one of them passed, but I have Lieutenant Dan. He's a little two-legged chihuahua. He only has back legs. He has no shoulder blades and no front legs. He he's like the cutest thing in the world, um, but we take care of him and we know what to do for him. So he does a really great job, and we use him for a lot of the veterans. We use him, you know, for people who are amputees. So he came to us certainly for a reason. But the reason I'm saying that is we pay special attention to how he's doing, and we don't ask him to do anything that he might have a hard time with. And he walks like a human on two legs. It is so cool and so silly, and he's just the best. But a tripod dog doesn't mean that, you know, or a cat doesn't mean that they can't walk, but you obviously wouldn't want to stress them. You, you let A typical good rule of thumb is if you have an animal or a person, let them do what they can handle on their own. And if it's like a physical therapy kind of a thing or anything like that, then that's a little different. But you're basically looking at making sure that the animal is going to be healthy and not in pain, not having issues that are going to cause it aggression or anger or fear or anxiety or anything like that. We're looking for a dog specifically to be a companion dog that's going to make us feel better. But then we get into like an emotional support dog. An emotional support dog is a companion dog, but it's a companion dog that you feel better and maybe it you feel better when you pet it or it comes up to you and it sits with you or, you know, you go over and sit on the couch with it. There's no training, specific training, other than it really should be well-behaved enough to be around other people because 
a lot of times you can keep them in different types of public housing or uh, housing of we've gotten gone into this five or more units, not on owner occupied. So there are all these different things, but that you don't really have to skill train them or task train them. Now, then we get into therapy dogs. So a therapy dog is usually just a dog who's a good dog, you know, like kind of, I call them like knucklehead dog. It's just like a, Hey, how you doing? You know, very sweet. You know, they don't mind strangers. They don't react to things. Um, and those are great dogs because that's what comes to visit us in the hospital. Um, those are the dogs that go to schools or libraries and the kids pet them, but they're not task trained. So these dogs, they're just well-behaved pets, basically, that people or volunteers are generous enough to to go places and share their cuteness. Um, but then when you get into service dogs, it's a whole other world, not even close to anything. You need all the above, right? You need it to be a great dog. You need to be healthy. You need it to be well-mannered. But with a service dog versus anything else, and especially versus a therapy dog, a service dog is different because a service dog has to only focus on one individual person. So what that means is you don't want the super friendly, you know, golden or lab or, you know, whatever doodle thing that, that's going to, oh, hi, how you doing? You know, you want that dog who's going to bond specifically to one person. And a service dog, you should never leave home without your service dog unless you have multiples, right? Because... Like, like I have four dogs I use as a service dog because I'm constantly using them. And when I'm out a lot, it's, uh, you know, definitely, you know, it's not stressful, but, you know, they, they have to go with me wherever I go. So I don't want to hurt my dogs and, and have them be overstressed or overtaxed. So I have a few different ones that I use for different things. Um, but most people will only have one. And when you have that service dog, you have to really focus on taking care of them. If the dog has a slight limp and it's a pet, you know, you maybe don't take him right to the vet because if he's just got a little limp, maybe he pulled something, you know. But, you know, you, you if it's three, four days later and the dog's still limping, yes, you should be taking your pet. And it's not bad to take the, the animal to the vet even the first time you see a problem. That's great. But I'm also trying to be sensitive to finances here, and we don't want people running for a, a $500 or whatever appointment that when, you know, the dog just, like, you know, nicked its toenail. Um, but with a service dog, you want to be running to that vet because that dog is your lifeline, and presumably you would be using that dog as a service dog while it was injured. So we don't want you to do that. Um, we want you to be able to make sure that the animal is going to be, you know, healthy and stay strong. If the animal has any kind of deformity, it's got dysplastic hips or elbows or anything like that, um, you know, the, the biggest problem, of course, is that when you're using a dog as a service dog, especially if it's mobility or you're using the dog quite a bit, you're putting a lot of wear and tear on the dog and the joints of the dog and the back, and the neck, and the, the feet, and everything. So you really want to take extra good care of that dog. Don't let his toenails get real long. I've seen quote-unquote service dogs with toenails that were curled under. Um, unbelievable what people do. 
um, dogs that are filthy or have mats or have chunks of hair that are like the huskies and shepherds and stuff that like chunks of matted hair is still on them. That is not a service dog. And if that's how you take care of a dog, you shouldn't even have a dog because bacteria can grow. The dogs can get hot spots. They can get what, what my dog had. And believe me, my, my dog lived in a huge house, a ten, uh, nine bedroom, eight bathroom, magnificent house that is spotless. And my dog got necrotizing fasciitis from something. And I mean, I'm talking spotless. You could eat off my floors, except when it's muddy and the dogs come in, but then after and I clean it again. And then you could eat off the floors again. But what I'm saying is you don't know what's there. And that's why dog parks are not really good because you don't know what's there either. Um, so with a service dog, the qualities that we're looking for are different. So if you have, let's say, three or four other people in your family, you don't want a dog who goes up to every single person. You want the dog who's a little standoffish with them. Because those people, yes, they can take the dog for a walk, they can pet him, they can kiss him, they can give him treats, but you have to be the primary because when you go out, you have to be that whole world. It's kind of like when people don't watch a child, they think they're watching the uh, great Stu Leonard's commercial. I love Stu Leonard's, it's a great place, but this, the baby, you know, Stewie, um, you know, was two years old and everybody was watching and he says, and the thing about when everybody was watching that no one was watching. And even though there were all these people around the pool, nobody noticed that the baby had fallen in and drowned. And I really appreciate that Stu Leonard puts that message out there because it's the same thing with dogs. It's the same thing with children. It's the same thing with, with anything in our lives. If you're focused on something, focus 100% on it. But we have cell phones and we have you know, conversations. And I basically look at it as if my eyes are not on that animal or that child, or my hand is not on that animal or child, then, you know, I'm not going to do anything else. Like that's your primary. I, I've seen it happen. I've seen, you know, things where, where people say, oh my gosh, you know, my kid just ran over and, and, and fell down the steps and you're like, but I just turned my back for a second. Right. You can't turn your back for a second. So a service dog has to be like that. He can't turn his back for a second or she. You can't, like that service dog has to be so focused on you, not focused on, you know, everybody else, because that could be the moment that you have a seizure or your blood sugar goes low or you get dizzy and fall. That service dog has to be 100% focused always. On you. And that's it. Has to be focused on you. So if we're able to kind of look at things and we're able to say, you know, okay, I understand that these things are, you know, going to happen, um, then that's great. But the problem, again, winds up being, are you, you know, do, do you need that service dog? And do you need that service dog for... Uh, for for everything, or do you just need the service dog for a few things, right? Because the greatest thing is, of course, that presumably you would have, um, you know, a dog um, who would be focused on you but friendly to others if it's not invest. But that's where we get to that pet or don't pet, where 
you say, is it okay for other people to pet my dog or to talk to my dog? No, not when he's in vest, not when he's working. Because remember, dogs, service dogs by law do not have to be in vest. Um, we require it, our organization, Merlin's Kids, um, does require it because we want to, and, and you can't use a hot pink with camo, okay? It's going to be our vest. The color matters. The color, if, if you knew what you were looking at, the color is symbolic of the disability or the use of the dog or the status if it's in training or it's not in training. So there is a reason for all of those things. Now, uh, one of the things that I think was really important was uh, Thomas asked about was, you know, what's the difference? Like if you have a service dog, like how does it know when it's being a dog and when it's being an actual service dog? which is a brilliant question because nobody ever asked that. The reason that a service dog is great is not because it's wearing a vest. It's because it is bonded to you. Kind of think of the overprotective Jewish or Italian mother um, and how that person is just always watching and always over you. So the right dog is going to be watching you, whether it's in vest or not, whether it's on leash or not, whether you're sleeping or not, whether you're you know, in the shower or not, that dog is going to always be focused on you. But there's also some important things to know that when you do have a service dog, you need to give that dog a break. So even though our dogs are phenomenal, like literally the best dogs you could ever imagine in your life, including mine, some of them aren't service dogs. They're all super unbelievably well-behaved because that's what I require. I just teach them. I don't get mad at them. I just teach them. But when you do have a service dog, you got to give them some time off. So if you're working, let's say, nine to five, and you take the dog with you all the time, sometimes it's okay to come home and put the dog in the crate, which they should get used to, because we even recommend that. Let them just sleep. Let them have a little something special in there. Let them just know that, ah, I'm off duty. Because a great service dog is going to be on duty for you all the time. And I know that the service dogs that I've had in the past for the last 30 some odd years, the ones when I only had one, they didn't last as long as when I have three or four that can take up the slack. So this way they work two days a week and the other days they get to be bums. It's kind of the reverse weekend situation. So I think that's really important. And I think it's also very important to understand that the difference between um, a regular, you know, pet and a service dog is the difference between, let's say, a toddler and the head of an emergency room. It's they're both people, they're both, you know, living in, you know, in the same area, but one of them has been trained for decades, right? The one has been trained to to do what he does. The other one just is. And your pet is kind of like the toddler. So you can have a really well-behaved toddler, really well-behaved um, young, you know, like five, six, seven-year-old kid, but you're not going to have them do brain surgery because they didn't have all of those many, many, many years of education and of learning and of being able to do those things and learning the differences. So service dogs are kind of like the, you know, super human MDs or, or not even MDs, um, you know, specialists 
who specialize in you. They specialize in what you need, and they specialize in taking care of you. So I think that's a probably a pretty good answer for everybody to understand about service dogs. Um, one last thing I do want to go into is every dog, every pet, if you love that pet, should seriously be on the best food you could possibly afford. No corn, wheat, soy, BHA, BHT, byproducts, propylene glycol, red dye 40, any of those things that are toxic or carcinogenic or tumorigenic. But there are also things that we hear sometimes about grain-free diets. Grain-free diets have been associated with a much higher prevalence of dilated cardiomyopathy, which is called DCM. So DCM comes from when animals who shouldn't be eating it or normally wouldn't eat beans and peas and legumes and things like that um, are eating them and the chemicals, just the nutrients in the peas, beans, and such cannot be metabolized and they actually can cause heart issues for dogs. So you want to be careful, especially if you have a larger breed or, or, or an older animal that you just switch to grain-free, I would not do it. So grains that are okay are rice, quinoa, um, anything beyond that tends to be kind of cheap, but oatmeal is fine. Um, so those things are really going to be very important to you because once you know that, oh, okay, you know, this is all um, good stuff here, this is the way this is, then you will also not only see your dog look better, but he'll feel better. And a lot of times people will bring me in as a behaviorist, and I start out talking about physical things. And they're like, well, wait a minute, but I just want to help with behavior. I'm like, yeah, but you have them on, you know, beneficial. I call it healthful, flavorful, awful, beneficial, toxic, more toxic crap in that. And I'm sorry, Purina, I love your alpaca food. I love your rabbit food, but you don't do meat things well. Um, And I apologize. And if anybody wants to argue please feel free because I'll take you right on. Um, The issue is, though, that dogs are carnivores. So they eat meat, but they also, if you look, and I've talked about this before, look in an animal's mouth, including our own. Cows and deer and, and bunnies even, but cows and deer have the crushing teeth in the back that can grind and grind and grind away at grasses and grains. Uh, like we do, but ours have little divots in them because we are also meat eaters, which is why we have canines and incisors. So the sharper the incisors, typically uh, the more meat eating they are, right? Um, Flatter incisors would be more for ripping off grass and such, Um, eating things like that where you need more of a grinding surface. But anything that's a carnivore is going to have sharper teeth. That's why If you get bitten by a dog, their canines are huge, but the the most dangerous part to get bitten by is the back because the back of a dog's mouth has this basically like a guillotine. It's it's unbelievable. Look at the back of your dog's mouth carefully, assuming he lets you be safe. But if you look at the back of a dog's mouth, it's pretty wild. They are like razor blades. So that is for meat. So you don't see, they don't have grinding teeth like a cow, right, or like a deer. They have cutting teeth. Everything they have is for cutting. 
what they will do is when they kill something and they start eating it, they will go for the guts. They will go for the innards, as they say down south, because that part has the pre-digested grains um, and grasses and things and veggies and fruits that whatever that animal that did have the digestive enzymes to break it down was able to eat. So now it's already broken down and the animal, the carnivore, is able to absorb it. So it's kind of cool. Um, so there's a reason that all these things happen. And there's a reason why everything in the world is the way it is. Sometimes we have to just believe. We have to look at, you know, ourselves and, and how we kind of fit into nature. But it's really great to always be here with you and helping you and teaching you. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here and to have you here sharing this hour of our show together. Um, we'll see you next week. Have a good, healthy, happy, safe week and weekend. And remember, take good care of your dogs and take care of yourself. Bye-bye.